Let's talk. Docs. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Docs, a show where we explore the intersection of technical docs, open source, and community. This is your host, Portion Eric. Here at Let's Talk Docs, we reach out to folks in the field who are elevating the craft of writing and maintaining docs. You'll hear stories about technologists who foster a culture of learning and inclusion through documentation. All right. Let's begin. Well, thanks so much, Amy, for joining us. It's great to have you on. And yeah, like one of the things we've been really excited about hearing is kind of people's story about how they got into documentation. There's so many different different ways that people end up in the industry. And yeah, we'd love to hear just a little bit more about kind of your your background and yeah, how you ended up kind of working at Vercel and GitHub and doing lots of good doc stuff. Thanks for having me today. I'm very happy to be here. So how I started, I didn't know the tech writing was a career option. In fact, I actually didn't really like writing that much. I did a CS degree and as I was getting to the end of that, I was trying to figure out what I want to do next. And I find like a job posting that was .NET, C Sharp, put it out on Twitter. Anybody know how I can learn C Sharp? And got in contact with Miguel de Casa, who had created the Mono Project. Straight, straight to the top on that one. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I had no idea who he was at the time, though. <laughs> and he had said, by Simon, looking for interns. And I was like, cool, this is awesome. So I started actually as a software engineering intern. Very quickly realized doing software engineering all day, every day is not for me. But their docs team had an opening for an internship. And I just started working on docs. And I loved it just instantly. I just loved that I could do a little bit of writing samples, but also really digging into like technical topics and having to then explain that in a consumable way for folks and kind of like bridging that gap between something that's really technical into something that's more consumable. And so that was it. I just loved doing docs and I didn't really look back after that. Then we went through an acquisition into Microsoft and I became a PM which looking back is probably one of the most helpful parts of my career because it really gave me a dive into thinking about users and user research and analytics and and all that kind of stuff and just kind of like expanded my mind whenever thinking about docs. So I did that for a couple of years. With part of that, I was writing documentation and I realized like every time I was writing documentation, that's whenever I was happiest. I really enjoyed it. And that's the days that I was looking forward to were the ones that I was writing documentation. So I sort of took that as a sign and decided I wanted to go back to docs full time and ended up as copywriter for App Center doing their documentation. And then we got acquired into GitHub. It all worked out well. And then I landed in a great team at GitHub. I feel like everybody who has done anything technical is used GitHub. So it was cool to be able to write for like so many people. Worked there for a couple of years, became a content designer there. First content designers, that was again doing a ton of user research and combining that love of user research with documentation to kind of like figure out, making sure that we're hitting the customer needs and, and everything the customers and users need from our documentation. 
Wow, that, that's quite a wild ride. Yeah, yeah, but it was fun. And like every step along the way, I went from things that I didn't know that was were possible or were career options or were jobs to just like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. This is exciting, new frontier. And this is totally what I don't think college students realize when they're thinking about careers. Like they're like, okay, I must put myself into this peg. And it's like, no, like careers are a lot more fluid, even when you are working. That being said about being fluid, you mentioned three job titles regarding writing. You mentioned copywriter, content designer, and technical writer. Are there differences between these three different styles of writing? I think so. Yeah. And I'll actually throw in another one. I'm a content developer now. So that's a wow. <laughs> So I think that technical writing and content developer are very similar and it almost depends on the company as well. Generally, in my experience, a content developer will probably be more hands-on with providing like code examples or writing bits of code here and there. Whereas as a technical writer, you might be writing pure just writing 100% of the time. But that's not always true. I mean, it, it really depends, I think, on the company. Content designer and copywriter are probably a lot similar. And they will sort of often fall onto the like UX writing header. Mm-hmm. But it all depends, yeah, on like what company you're working for or like what you're most interested in as well. As a content designer, I was just, purely on docs. I wasn't doing anything on the product. I wasn't doing any sort of copywriting. I realized that copywriting is not for me. I prefer that longer form part of writing. But yeah, I think copywriting is more short form. Seems like the industry overall is still just trying to figure out exactly, you know, like we had a chat a few weeks ago where it's like, we don't even know where docs fit in the organization, let alone how all the people within the docs organization kind of fit together and all the different roles and titles. And yeah, they think there's a lot of churn and in, in names. And yeah, it's really just about finding where you enjoy working. And <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think that also sort of relates to sort of whenever you're a PM, like the PM role is this kind of, I don't know, obscure title that actually covers a lot of things. There's some PMs that are really, really good with analytics, or there's some that are really good with organization and just kind of like getting everyone together, get the whole team on board or some that are very like user facing. So they'll be doing lots of conferences and speaking and and everything like that. And it's sort of, in my experience, it's like people just go where their interests are and a lot of people have the same title, but they do very different things. That's really interesting. I am going to ask a question that I'm not even going to pretend is neutral. (laughs) So do you think technical writers should know a bit about content design and copywriting? Yes. And maybe not so much copywriting, but I think in terms of design of your documentation, because things like IA is super important, like the layout of your content. So whenever you're creating technical documentation, it has to be more than just the words on the page, because ultimately like the end user, that's not interesting to people. I might have the right answer in there, but usability, discoverability, all those sorts of things are just as important as the words that you're putting on the page. So I think in that respect, it's really important to have to think about content design. 
I agree with you. That's why I did ask that question because I'm like, <laughs> I'm not neutral on this. Like I preaching to the choir on that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm coming out as a preacher. So <laughs> I'll be behind you hundred percent. You have these conversations of technical writers who they're very much about the product so much that sometimes I do think they forget about the user. And I think they do forget about the usability. And I think sometimes it's about the org. Like I think sometimes they don't have a lot of say in how the documentation looks and or they don't have a lot of contact with the actual end user. But I love it, Amy, that you got to see so many different dimensions of technical writing and you got to actually deal with the end user directly. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Sometimes you can have technical writers who really excel at the technical aspect of it, or they're really, really good at writing. We're not writing Shakespeare here. It's not about how well you can write. It's about how well that you can convey this technical, often like very highly technical concept to someone else. And you don't know what their skill set is or how much they already understand. They could be a novice, they could be advanced. You got to write for all of them. And so there's a lot you need to take into account there. You got to get out of their way. Like it's not about yeah. you. Exactly. Take your ego out of the picture. You've got to get out of their way. A hundred percent. That leads into our next question. We talked about experience the user a lot in this conversation already, but what does an ideal developer experience look like? I mean, there's probably a very complex answer to this, but my initial thought is that they don't spend a lot of time in the documentation. And I hate <laughs> saying that, like, <laughs> you know, as somebody that writes docs, but I do feel like for the most part, there's a lot of caveats in it. For the most part, I want a developer, if they're coming to the documentation, if they have to come to the documentation in the first place, I want them in, get the answer, that fixes their issue and then they're gone again. That should be a really, really simple part of their product experience. That should be it. Like, I don't want them to have to think about docs or spend a lot of time searching for stuff. Just in, I go fix it. One of those That's great insane. questions that we've always had kind of in the, the analytics discussion, right? It's one of my favorite kind of questions. Like, is time on page a good or a bad metric, right? <laughs> and I, yeah. it's, a yeah. really, it's really interesting. Yeah, and I guess it depends because especially if you've got a tutorial or like, you know, those getting started experiences, which I, I mm -hmm. love getting started stuff. The getting started experiences, like you want people to be spending a little bit of time so that you know that, hey, they've actually gone through and like reached the bottom of the page and haven't just given up. Eric, thank you for mentioning that because when you're dealing with a traditional SEO specialist, that's something that really trips them up about technical documentation. Because it's sometimes they like freak out like, oh, my gosh, this person only spent five seconds. I'm like, well, maybe they got the answer right away. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Totally. There's a page in the there's the content design book. And one of the pages at the top of it is time on page is not always a bad thing. I mean, I'm using that out of context. But it's like it's not a bad thing. And it talks about an example on the like UK government page. And I think. It's for people who are Googling for the next bank holiday and all they want is the bank holiday. So what they did was at the top of the page, they just said when the next bank holiday was and then the calendar sort of beneath that. 
And like the page, time on page went way down and they were like, success. That's what people want. They just want in, see it in big font, go. That's hilarious. (laughs) That's a really good pertinent example. Yeah, it's one that always sticks in my mind. I wanted to also kind of bring it back. I love your kind of introduction story, right? It feels very like modern, right? It's like Twitter into like open source project. And that's one of the things we were kind of curious about is there's a lot of people who have questions about how to get involved in open source. And I guess the first question I had was like, was Xamarin being open source? Was that kind of part of what allowed you to kind of engage with them? But then also kind of from your experience in the open source ecosystem as GitHub as well, like, do you have any kind of suggestions for people who want to get involved in open source or kind of excited about that part of the software ecosystem? So whenever I had started at Xamarin, I, I mean, I hadn't done any open source before that at all. I was completely unfamiliar, honestly. And whenever I started actually Xamarin, the Xamarin iOS and Xamarin Android were still proprietary. It was only later that they open sourced them, but they were built on top of the Mono open source project. So I was still very much like working in the open source ecosystem. And a lot of our samples sure. were, were in the open source and everything. So it's not necessarily what kind of like brought me to where I was, but it was another kind of like new frontier that I wasn't exposed to before. And it was very interesting to me in terms of getting started with open source. I mean, I think documentation, technical writing is the best place to kind of expose yourself to that GitHub docs are open sourced. And I would highly recommend, you know, if somebody wants to check that out to just go in there, you know, even if it's just a typo to start with or something that just isn't clear or whatever else, just start small. They also have a lot of like issues as well, like good first time issues that can be used as well. Or if there is a particular language of choice, often there are samples that are open sourced for various different projects. So that's another way to sort of like get in and help maybe update the readme on that. So it's really just start small, build up your confidence and your skill set, and just keep going. Amy, your answer warms my heart because I think we're starting to have a bit of gatekeeping when it comes to contributing to open source projects, especially with Hacktober, Hacktoberfest. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some people who are like, well, it doesn't count if you're fixing a typo or are you really contributing if you're fixing like a grammatical mistake? But I'm glad that you're doubling down on, no, start small. That's where it begins. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's the same, like, what would be the difference between like, yeah, you're fixing a typo or fixing like, I don't know, a tiny bug in a piece of code. Is it less important because it's a typo? No, absolutely not. If anything, there's probably a lot of people, especially if you're, if it's on the GitHub docs, people are going to be using those docs. That's really important. A lot of people are going to be seeing that. Another thing I want to highlight about your open source experience is I don't think a lot of people realize that you can work for a big company like Microsoft or GitHub and still work internally on an open source project. Yeah, absolutely. I think Microsoft are the biggest contributors on GitHub. You think they've been doing like a ton of open source stuff. So for you, the path was to work on an open source project and then you're working for like a place like Microsoft or GitHub with someone who's looking for a job within Microsoft or GitHub do they actually advertise these open source projects within these big companies that someone can work on? I think it probably depends on the area 
they are working within those big companies. I do know that DevDiv, which is like the developer division at Microsoft, they're like all in on open source. So I think it sort of depends on like the pocket that you're working on, the things that you're working on. I don't know. I feel like it would be a bit of a red flag though, if the company you're working on didn't <laughs> want to work in an open source. So. I love that kind of introduction as well. I'd be curious, why do you think that docs are kind of one of the better ways to get involved? Is that just kind of the accessibility of it? Or do you have kind of more thoughts there? Because I do, this is one of the questions we get a lot. How do I get involved in open source, especially if maybe you're not a developer? And I think the gatekeeping is strong there as well, right? (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm just curious, like, what about documentation do you see as kind of makes it kind of good for people to get involved? I definitely think the accessibility aspect of it is is a big part. I think another big part is just that everybody, no matter kind of like where you are in the, the chain or if you've just started or whatever, like everybody's using the docs. So there's something that are also like really useful. I think there's something that they are something that are maybe a bit more straightforward for people to get started with. It has like a kind of lower barrier to entry, but I also don't want to say that as a way to like undermine technical writers, because I know that being a technical writer is highly skilled and, you know, it's not just like anybody can write docs, but I think, and well, anybody can contribute to open source, but anybody can start with doing documentation. And often it's just figuring out how the project works and building up your confidence as well with those open source contributions. And so starting small with documentation is an easy way to do that. And I I think one of the big things that I found is it takes a little bit less you're not investing as much time. Like if you're really trying to build like a code feature, you kind of have to do a little bit more work up front to make it. I mean, you have to write docs for it. You have to you know, write tests for it. But you know, yeah, it's like something where you can kind of pick off a small part of something that's already kind of going on in the project rather than having to like create something that's your own <laughs> or something along those lines where, yeah, you're able to kind of be an additive effort to the project and not add more work for them to do, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I am so interested in Vercel's philosophy when it comes to a developer experience. Because I have to say, I went through their tutorial. I go through their documentation. I actually use Vercel to host several of my websites. And the experience is different than in other places. What is their philosophy when it comes to developer experience? I mean, I think it's kind of similar to what I was saying about docs is just get out of their way. Just get out of your user's way, get out of developer's way and just let them do the thing. That seems to kind of like be my sense and what we talk about like a lot internally. And that's kind of like true throughout the company, whether it is in the product or documentation as well. Like that's what they never really striving for is just give the people what they want and get out of the way. Don't give them anything extra. Give them extra if it's a nice price, but not extra fluff or whatever. No, no extra words that don't need to be there. They actually do get a surprise. So once you deploy your website, they actually have a whole bunch of confetti. So I really yeah. do like that surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's time to confetti. <laughs> I, time to confetti. That's awesome. I love that metric. Yeah, I feel like that's an old Kathy Sierra reference as well. But that's like old school, kind of probably before content design was a word. <laughs> but I'm curious how the docs are within the kind of org chart or whatever at Vercel. Because I that's one of the things that I it seems like it's a really core part 
of the product. And I'm curious of that kind of, I mean, I know you're only there for a few weeks, but have you noticed how maybe that shapes how you kind of fit into the organization? Yeah. I mean, so docs are part of the product team and docs are involved in all the like product discussions. It's not at all like that. We're just a separate little island kind of, you know, that some people might talk to sometimes. I know that is often a thing at companies. We're very much just part of the whole experience. And yeah, so we sit under product and are involved in any kind of like product making decisions or as things are going to market, docs are right up there. And everybody like from CEO down like has an opinion on docs, which is great. Everybody will pitch in and help and examples and, you know, ways that they think the docs could be improved. So it definitely feels like there is like a docs forward culture at Brazil, which is really, really cool, which is part of the reason as well that I wanted to move there. Totally. No, it's super exciting. I think with some of these kind of newer crop of companies, it's so ingrained, like the developer experience, the docs. And I guess one of the ways we always used to talk about it was like getting a seat at the table, right? And I think that's kind of what you were describing. It's like, we don't want to try and document the poor features that you've already built. We want to help you build features that are easier to explain to users. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's always quite hard. I, whenever I talk about docs, I always try to, and I have, have never found the, the right words to explain it, but I never want them to be like business driven docs. And that's often what they are, even whenever we have the best intention. I don't want docs to just be like another thing on the checklist that happens on the go to market list that like, oh, we have to have docs as well. So then we write about what the thing is and then that's it. Because are we really taking into account at that point what the user cares about? Like the user might not care about all this complexity that we have or us adding in this paragraph. But we think we have to document it because it's a new feature that we've added. So my kind of goal is to make sure that we have that bridge between the user and the docs really, really strong. And then the business part is an afterthought. No, it's, no, 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 it's not really an afterthought. But, <laughs> but no, no, it's like the part of building the product is thinking about the mental model that the user will have to have in able to use it. And I think that's kind of this, yeah, this new era of software development, right? Yes. Now like docs isn't like a checklist. It's like, okay, we built the thing. Now like go write the words to explain it to people, but really trying to internalize, like how do we build products that make sense? How do we think about the user's mental model and the design of the content architecture? I think that's that evolution towards content designer, right? Is really trying to think through like the mental model and then the way that we're we're engaging users in how they think about the whole product. And yeah, that's a, a super important part of the design of the product as well. And yeah, I think that moving from the checklist, the thing you have to throw for the wall or whatever. Yeah, 100%. And I will say as well for Versailles, we also recently hired a content designer as well as part of the, the product team. So she will help with a lot of that. Just the fact that they have invested in a content designer, I think, tells you everything you need to know about <laughs> what they think about docs and content. Putting your money where your mouth is and getting back to like the business driven goals, this really dovetails nicely with Tori's book, which is strategic writing for UX. And she has two circles and inside is the workflow circle of the business goals and a workflow circle of the user goals. 
And it's really nice to hear of a company such as Vercel focusing on that outer circle on what is the user's workflow? What are some of the things that they care about, they're dealing with, and they want to accomplish? Yeah, I sort of feel, and maybe maybe this is naive of me or whatever, but I feel like whenever you're focusing on the user needs and what it is that the user wants and these little things to like surprising user along the way, like that is just going to bring success to your company. These are the things that you need to think about. You can't think about business driven goals first. Think about the end user and hopefully it will come after that. But I don't know, maybe this is why I'm not a CEO. <laughs> I mean, no users, no business. So it seems like it makes sense that you should focus yeah. on the users. <laughs> A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's why I love doing what I do with docs because I feel like that's such a big part for most of the last decade, maybe up until maybe like, I don't know, 2017 or something. But for a large part of the last decade, docs was very much an afterthought. It's only in the last five years or so that people are like, oh yeah, this is a thing that everybody uses and people use constantly. Maybe we should invest in it. Yeah, like in the past, Docs was very much a back room, back closet kind of thing where no one really talked about it. Like it's an afterthought. It's really nice to see that more people and more companies are prioritizing uh, good documentation. Yeah, I love to see it. I'm curious. I mean, I help myself as one of those people who was talking about it more than 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pioneer, I, Eric. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But no, I, I love this kind of idea. And I'm th- this is not in one of our pre-discussed questions here, but I'm curious, just some my selfish interest, if you were going to kind of work to advocate more for this approach, right? Because I do think it's this really, I I can think of maybe, you know, 25 different companies that are really kind of engaging documentation in this really deep way. But if, if you were going to like find somebody, I mean, I'm sure within Microsoft, maybe as an example, right? Some team, the windows team or something on, on a different part of the organization that hasn't kind of adopted this philosophy. How would you kind of pitch this worldview to them? Like, is there a way that you would kind of think about how to advocate for the kind of outcomes that this enables, I guess? It's something that I think about really, really regularly. So I'm just trying to form my thoughts as well, because I know as soon as we wrap up here that I will also have probably 30 different answers to this. So last year, GitHub published the state of the Octaverse. And one of the key things in that was about how documentation basically adds to the success of your company, give all the different metrics of the ways that like documentation can help. No surprise to any of us that work in documentation, but there you go. And you look at that and you can see clear as day, you know, whether it is big tech companies or startups, anybody, documentation will add to the success. It is proven. We have the statistics to show you. Therefore, it's just like, it's a no brainer to invest in your content team upfront. Don't invest in them. I mean, invest in them at all times, but don't wait <laughs> until you've IPO'd or whatever. Invest early on whenever you're building out your team so that they are part of that product team and engineering team and design team. And they work really seamlessly together. And that way they'll sort of like grow with your company rather than ending up with this sort of like island type model where it's really hard to like build back up again. 
And you can build back up from that again, but it's just so much harder. Like, why not build it to begin with and make life easier for everyone? I feel like the TLDR in my mind is content higher as higher number 25 instead of higher 100 or (laughs) something something along those lines. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's because I love that whenever I started at Xamarin, like, and that was all those years ago, that was like 2013. And I was like maybe the fifth person on the docs team. And I was only employee number 70 or something like that. So they had invested in their docs way, way upfront, very early on, which was awesome. I think that's what made me love docs is having a great doc team and a, a company that cared about docs. Which might have helped with the acquisition too, because Microsoft clearly knew what they were building and who their audience was. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Documentation really helps with the business case. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Awesome. Well, I, I really love that perspective. And, and that's such an interesting little fact. This conversation just makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not something you should admit. I, I have to say, Eric, all these conversations we have make me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's just one of those things. I, I love that kind of that fact around the number of, you know, the number of people on the docs team. Cause I talked to so many organizations that are 75, hundred people and they're, and they're just really starting to think about it. And I love that kind of, yeah, just the anecdote, that kind of point in time where kind of before it was cool, <laughs> these companies kind of investing in documentation and seeing success really shows a model, right? Cause I, I do think a lot of people know how to just like dump money into engineering to build a product but they don't know how to build these kind of longer term companies and, and larger kind of visions that do require having a little bit more diversified team. So I don't know. I just love hearing that number specifically. So we're heading towards the end of our show. And is there anything you'd like to shout out? What are you working on or things that we should know about? Anything interesting that you've read? It's not something that I have read, but the Imagineering process is like next on my list of things. Oh right? boy. I have a 17 month old, so it's very hard to find time to do anything. So I'm glad that, uh, so it's interesting that Disney is influencing other industries. What is the name of the book again? The Imagineering. So it's the Imagineering process. So I love going to Disney parks because the level of detail, it's so immersive, but you don't realize how immersive it is. And it's that sort of thing of like not realizing how immersive it is is what's so interesting to me. And so they have all these like principles about Imagineering in the parks or just in Disney in general, I think, which is part of the reason why Disney is so successful. And so I find that really like interesting to adapt to any industry, really. But like sort of in what I'm doing, like how do I create documentation so that people are learning and getting the answer that they need without realizing almost what they're doing, right? So it sort of dovetails into that developer experience of like in out and go. So that's what's next on my list. I haven't actually read the book yet, but it's something that always is like in my head. It's really interesting. So That really seconds uh, the experience I've had when I worked at Disney. So I, not too many people know this, but I worked as an English teacher in Beijing on one of Disney schools. And the whole purpose of a Disney school was to teach students English, but it was in this immersive fashion. So we were called, 
it's edutainment and we were edutainment engineers <laughs> <laughs> and it was really important for the kids to think that they were in a disney park but they were also hitting these different metrics and it's something that disney spent a lot of time putting together and spent a lot of time training people like me to be able to pull off this kind of experience that's amazing. I really, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> we'll need to follow up. <laughs> we'll follow up. It was an interesting experience. There are some stories that I can't actually add in a podcast. So, Yeah, but I think it shows the scalable nature of content and, yeah. and how you need yeah. to kind of reinforce that in the culture. I think Disney is a, a fascinating company. And so I imagine there's a lot to learn there. So that's a great recommendation. Thanks, Amy, for joining us today. And thank you, everyone else. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episodes, or if you would even like to come on as a guest, please email us at letstalkdocs at sustainoss.org. We'll have the email address in the notes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, keep writing and shipping those docs.